Akine Freechild, Director of Public Citizens Democracy is for People campaign. Akine was last on the program in August on the 12th. More than a pleasure to have Akine back. How you doing? Good afternoon. And I guess I have to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Uh, Kine, uh, let's talk about Citizens United. This is the fifth uh, anniversary of Citizens uh, United. And I think looking at the polls and uh, looking at certainly the really disgusting lackluster turnout in the midterm elections, uh, these two, uh, you know, are, are, you know, just pieces of evidence uh, that are, you know, overwhelming, in my opinion, to show that we need a constitutional amendment now more than ever uh, before. Um, so uh, let's talk about this. Right now we have out-of-control spending. We have super PACs that are literally handpicking and buying people to represent we the people and not in the best interest of we the people. And, of course, we'll speak to dark money groups as well. Um, so l- let's talk about this. There are voices across this nation that decry this uh, Supreme Court ruling, Citizens United. Uh, five years ago today, this took place. And this is a cry not just from the left side of the aisle. No, oh, absolutely. The polling is unequivocal time and again, and it certainly was ahead of the 2014 elections, that people from all parties, uh, all different sides of the aisle in the voting public want to see real limits on spending. They understand that unlimited spending in elections, which was um, unleashed by the Citizens United ruling five years ago today, is fundamentally corrupting. It creates a pay-to-play system where the biggest donors control who can run for office, who gets elected 90% of the time, the people who raise the most money win. Uh, and then what kind of policy they can pass in our in our legislative bodies. And that's not acceptable, and that's not democracy. So there's been a huge movement over the last five years to overturn the ruling, and that continues today, 16 states, 600 cities and towns. As of today, 5 million folks have signed petitions calling for a constitutional amendment, 28th Amendment to the United States Constitution, calling for a restoration of the right to limit spending in elections, and reign in corporate power in our elections as well. And uh, let's talk about so people understand um, the difference between spending, a super PAC, and dark money, and the groups associated with this dark money. Sure. So dark money is, is one type of spending in our elections that we have seen growing, and it was bigger in this last election, the 2014 election, than it ever has been before. And what dark money simply is, is money that's spent on ads, on any kind of election-related spending where the money is not disclosed. So it's money not given to candidates, but rather given to trade associations like the United States Chamber of Commerce, uh, given to nonprofits that funnel the money and pass the money along so that you can't trace where it came from. So we literally don't know where huge percentages of outside spending is coming from. It could be from a for-profit corporate interest that's looking for a specific handout, from a politician. Um, it could be from an individual who has a very specific interest. But whoever it's from, we don't have that information. And so it's even more terrifying um, than, than I think the Supreme Court predicted when the Supreme Court uh, ruled in Citizens United that there can be no limits set on what corporations, any incorporated entity, nonprofit or for profit, can spend in elections, they assume that there would be disclosure. And in fact, that system of transparency that we've relied on is being attacked and is actually being broken down and is worse today than it was five years ago. I I, want to talk about, I was listening to some attorneys on my way into the studio earlier today, 
And uh, they were discussing that the Supreme Court didn't have to rule this way. And I'm not just saying ruling in the in, in the manner, but um, with the broad generalization in which they they ruled, they could have ruled very specifically, which would have changed the outcome and the reach um, and uh, the freedom, if you will. I don't want to say freedom, actually. Um, I, right. I mean, for, first of all, part of the problem is whether you look at money as property, as I do, um, or as speech. And some people still have a hard time with that. How, how did money become speech? And has it always really been, has money always been considered speech, uh, according to the U.S. Constitution, as our founding father, uh, forefathers uh, had written it uh, to be, ideally? Well, I certainly, when I read the First Amendment, I don't see money anywhere in there. I don't think that they're the same thing. I agree with you. It is Money is property. And I think the Supreme Court was looking at it as in money being spent in elections is used for speech. It's certainly used for a lot of other things, right, which is a little part of one of the many generalities, I think, that have come out uh, of the ruling, that not all the money that we're talking about actually is being used on ads. But when it's it's being used on ads, um, then it's being used to amplify somebody's speech. So it's not the speech itself, but it's related, and it has to be regulated with that in mind. So it is important to be careful around spending a money that's used to amplify speech. But there's a competing interest that is incredibly profound. It runs to the core of our democracy, which is that the election system is supposed to be about one person, one vote. It's based on a fundamental political equality, that everybody has the same vote. And what we've seen is money corrupting at every level of the process um, to make that so it has less value, that people feel that their votes don't count. They see that they don't get a free choice of candidates or that their candidate that they may wish to hear from doesn't have a chance at a voice if they don't have access to money. And so we've created a money election as well as a vote election, and that money election is, is dominating the political process, which is not what the founders intended. And what did they intend so that people understand? I mean, I, I mean to me, and I, I'm, not a con- I'm not an attorney, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but to oh, me I it's think- very, very clear when you look at even though separation of church and state isn't in the Constitution, when you look at the separation of powers within the government even, they don't want so much power in one area, uh, you know, by one entity. And to me, ergo, that one entity and so much power shouldn't be coming from uh, the checkbook of a a corporation either. Right. I think it it gets at the very fundamental principle of checks and balances of a working democracy designed as ours was. And I do think that the Founding Fathers had some concern about this. One of the famous Jefferson quotes on this issue, the end of democracy and the defeat of the American Revolution will occur when government falls into the hands of lending institutions and moneyed corporations. And certainly one of the biggest influencers in Congress right now is Wall Street. And they've been trying to roll back the vocal role and other post-recession reforms to try to prevent um, another crash in this Congress. This is the most bought Congress we've had in history in terms of of total dollars spent. And they are incredibly um, indebted to their corporate donors from this last election. So the, the imbalance is very clear. It's very clear that it's against the founding principles of this country. And we just have to recognize that there are many ways even if you believe that money is speech, which I don't, there are many ways in which we have to look at competing rights and issues when we're looking at speech. 
I also itself is really this is only about the election time period. It's a very limited period, and the restrictions on speech, as people have pointed out, if you want to call it that, are not to the content. There can be absolutely no restriction as to what is said. It's how much money can you spend amplifying that. And whatever the limit would be that has been set historically by Congress and the states would apply to everyone equally. So there's no discrimination that's allowable here. But there is a chance to put a limit so that one speaker can't dominate and we don't we lose any sense of freedom if you have to spend millions of dollars in order to have quote unquote free speech in an election. You know, I, I think some people would say, well, you know, I think all bo- politicians uh, are bought and paid for and have been since, you know, the 1930s, uh, if not before. A lot of people reference the 30s uh, in, in reference to this decision by the Supreme Court, looking at the composite and decisions of the Supreme Court back in the 30s. But some people might say, I'm not as concerned with that as what those bought and paid for do. And if they can't get anything accomplished, then really that check was written for not by these corporations. Keystone Pipeline. An example. I mean, if legislation is passed in both uh, chambers of Congress and it gets to the president's desk and, you know, he vetoes it, as will be the case with Keystone and trying to defund and repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act as two examples, um, did did that money really buy what the corporations wanted? I think, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more that it does. And sometimes it doesn't buy any action. It buys inaction. I think often that's the case where whatever the status quo is, the biggest multinationals, the biggest corporations. We're not talking about small business. We're talking, not talking about Main Street business. We're talking about the big guys. They're benefiting from the status quo, and so they have an incentive to block and create gridlock, and we saw that with the last shutdown, that there's certain folks who would rather see government break than function because they are better off and they can control more when government isn't working, isn't regulating, isn't protecting our food, our air, our water, and making sure our elections work right, because they already have a lot of power in the current system. So that's something you really have to watch. And if folks are listening and feeling moved um, to work to overturn Citizens United, I encourage you to text CU5 to the number 313131. That's CU5 as in Citizens United 5th anniversary to 313131 to sign a petition calling for the overturn of the ruling. Well, let's take a break, and when we come back, I want I want to talk about how likely that is. And I also want to talk about whether our presidents have been or will be bought and paid for. We'll be back. I'm Leslie Marshall. We are back with Akine Freechild, Director of Public Citizens. Democracy is for people campaign. By the way, follow Public Citizen on Twitter, at public underscore citizen. Um, also follow at Rule by U.S. And the website is citizen.org. Akine, thank you uh, for holding. Welcome back. Um, uh, f- first of all, are, do you think that our presidents already are bought and paid for by corporations? And I say that because there are a lot of people out there who really want, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders to run, especially on the left. Um, and there are many that say we love them, we want them to run, but they're not going to be able to win. In other words, can you actually win an election the size of a presidential election without money for for corporations. And obviously the Citizens United ruling allows even more money from those corporations to assist in that candidate's uh, success in, in winning the race for the Oval Office. Well, we do have a public financing system for president. It is underfunded, and after President Obama issued taking public financing uh, in his first run, it has languished. But it was once a very popular option, and with proper funding, it could 
be used again to make sure that candidates running for President of the United States have a chance to focus on getting votes from regular people and not just big donors. But that said, the outside spending piece, the part that was enabled by Citizens United, is still there, and it's a pretty big elephant in the room. Um, it It's not possible to limit outside spending unless two presidential candidates, the main candidates in the general election, were to agree to bar outside spending, which they could do. Elizabeth Warren actually uh, made a public pledge uh, when she ran against Scott Brown in, her, in Massachusetts not to have any outside spending. And, and it was a voluntary pledge, and it worked. Ninety-three percent uh, less outside spending happened in that race than any other um, competitive Senate race in the country. So there are voluntary ways to get around the outside spending, um, coupled with a well-funded public financing campaign. It's feasible. It's a stretch, right? It's hard, but it's possible. And I do think you know, there are a lot of good people who run for office and many others who aren't able to because they're not able to raise the dollars. So we need to change that system long term, but it doesn't mean everyone in office is corrupt. It just means we make it very hard for people to stay uncorrupted in the current system. Let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Going to Joplin, Missouri on line three with Tamara. Hey, Tamara, how you doing? Good afternoon. Question or comment for our guest? Well, your guest kind of piqued my ears when she mentioned the Chamber of Commerce. And eight years ago, while just messing around on the Internet, I Googled an old small town I used to live in in Arizona and saw that they had a Chamber of Commerce. So I called the mayor and asked him where in the little town was the Chamber of Commerce. He says, we have a Chamber of Commerce. I said, yeah, and these are the three people that are running it out of Tucson, Arizona. He says, well, it's the first I've heard about it. And doing more checking, they had aligned themselves with Walmart and were funneling money to the Republican candidates in the Tucson, Arizona area. And I've been trying for years to to get somebody to investigate this because I went to several other small towns around the country online and saw they too had chamber of commerces, but there were only like 1200 people in the town. And when I called these mayors, they were like, we don't have a chamber. The, The mayors didn't know about a chamber of commerce. So the chamber of commerce has gone around the country opening up these phantom chambers, and funneling money to the Republican Party. Uh, Akina, I I would like you to to speak to this, because I remember when I was a kid, and and, uh, although I said it on TV jokingly, dinosaurs did not really rule the earth at that time, but... Uh, when I when I was a kid, the Chamber of Commerce was more like uh, you know an organization where business people got together uh, to trade business cards so they could you know help one another. Um, you know whether you worked for a business or were starting your own uh, small business. I know when my dad started his own small business. It was how sometimes he got new customers or orders or things like that. And it, it's really become an extreme uh, you know uh, conservative ideological organization that definitely is a player uh, when it comes to uh, cash for the GOP. Uh, Akina? Well, there's a big distinction. It sounds like what's being set up is shell 
uh, trade organizations that they're calling Chambers of Commerce, B6s under the tax code, uh, to, to funnel money. I don't know the details of what you're talking about, but today we were actually protesting in front of the United States Chamber of Commerce, which is not like the little local Chamber of Commerces that you grew up with, which are still active all over the country and do wonderful things for local business and for Main Street business. But the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and probably a few local ones, although I can't speak to that, is is by and for big multinational corporations. It's actually not representative of American business. In fact, they, though they, they represent a number of multinationals that are based in the U.S., they also recently sided with British Petroleum against a league of Gulf state chambers of commerce um, representing businesses that were hurt by the BP oil spill. And rather than taking that moment to stand up for American businesses they purport to do, they sided with BP. Um, it's just, it's a crying shame, and it's also illustrated just where they're coming from, that they are the biggest secret spender in our elections, and they are the biggest spender on lobbying in our elections. The U.S. Chamber spent $31 million, none of it disclosed in our recent election, for who knows what multinational corporation, and now they're working hard to cash in on that investment in our election uh, by spending more on lobbying than anyone else. And the return on that investment, on average, between lobbying and election contributions, is 22,000%. It's an investment for for-profits to buy our elections, and it's taxpayer money that they're getting back in return. Uh, interesting. We do have some tweets on this I want to share as well. And... Uh... Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. We got stuff from State of the Union last night that's uh, coming in as uh, well. Um, we, you know, we've been asking people on Twitter uh, regarding the Supreme Court ruling on Citizens United that brought the out of control spending, the super PACs and the dark uh, many groups. Um, what effect would a repeal have? So first off, let's talk, Akine, about how likely a constitutional amendment is in less than 60 seconds, because I know it's very difficult to amend the Constitution. I think it's as likely as the people of the United States of America can make it be. We've done this 27 times before. It's certainly something that's totally possible, and it just depends on how strongly we care about saving our democracy. And I think people care a great deal based on what I've seen at the grassroots level. We're also working to change the jurisprudence so that the folks who are coming up to be the next Supreme Court justices don't hold these same kind of crazy reactionary views on uh, what constitutes corruption and what is a threat to our democracy. Okay. There's a number of ways. Okay, Akina, thank you for joining us.